about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Notre Dame won. There's more interesting stuff to talk about today, so let's get right into it. I'm going to pass you over to Steve for a word from our sponsor. Are you a football coach in the state of Texas that just had arguably the worst and most embarrassing loss in fr- in uh, franchise history, in, in program history? If so, you might be on the hot seat and looking for a job soon. And if you are looking for a job, check out Dwindle. Dwindle is the first job posting board that's going to pair you up with a job that is going to get you benefits to help you pay down your student debt. They'll give you a free resume critique once you sign up, and then they'll connect you with jobs that either help pay down your student loans or if you are looking for tuition assistance, if you don't currently, uh, if you're not currently enrolled in college or have loans yet and are looking to upgrade your game, they can help you with jobs that can help you with tuition. So check them out at dwindlestudentdebt.com. That's D-W-I-N-D-L-E, studentdebt.com. Tell them the Four Horsemen sent you. There's nobody in the podcast game better than coming up with a new and funny way to do the ad than Steve. It's the same ad over and over again. You just you just add a flair to it that amazes me. But none of that matters because we got a way more important thing to get to. A longtime friend of the show is with us today, Rob Martin of Lean Toss Up. Brief introduction, Lean Toss-Up started off as an elections forecasting model and website. What does that have to do with sports, you may ask? Good point. Rob here has created a model that is so good, it can't be contained by politics anymore. He's broken into the sports market, first with the NFL model on predicting games, and then, most recently, with the college football model. So I'm going to pass it over to Rob to just so elaborate who he is, uh, finally, another Canadian on the show and uh, and exactly what this model is. And then we're going to get into that. We're going to get into Notre Dame's football game with Virginia. We're going to talk college football at large, the playoff, certain teams in particular. And then we're going to wrap it up, of course, with next week's game against Georgia Tech. So, Rob, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you. Uh, thanks, Dylan. Nice to, nice to be here um, on, on your on podcast and for the first time ever actually i think on a podcast talking about non-politics so it's 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 really cool to be talking about sports so yeah as as dylan was saying yeah i mean i've i've mostly been doing politics modeling and recently i've been getting into to football modeling and eventually maybe other sports i mean i've always loved football it's 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 probably my favorite sport and i i thought i could kind of build something cool and and new into into um, into a model for football and i think i have the nfl model has been been doing really well and the um, the NCAA model, it's not. It, it, there's still a couple bugs to work out, but for for some of the top games, yeah, it's uh, it, for the top tier games, the top like top tier teams, yeah, it's doing pretty well. So, yeah, the the theory behind it again, if you guys want to check out um, the article, the methodology article, it's on uh, www.leantossup.ca. You can find our articles there. Um, it basically the theory behind it is instead of treating like power ranking teams and and having like this team's better than this usually usually what they do is some sort of elo model the idea is um 
the idea is that we did it was something we could um the idea was that we could basically build them similar to um pokemon battling each other right so sometimes you have some pokemon that are, are stronger than others but in different type matching right so obviously you like fire pokemon and water pokemon well in, if you report that to football basically it's like sometimes if you have a team that's really good at rushing the ball and a team that's really kind of bad at rushing defense then that then the team that's really really good at, at rushing the ball is always going to crush the team that's bad at, at rush defense it's kind of the same way as a water pokemon will always beat a fire pokemon and it's it, it's really cool and it, it's been doing really well it's been finding a lot of marketing efficiencies and, and yeah i think go ahead and read up the thing there's a lot of cool stats on there on, on the website but yeah it's um I'm, I'm excited to to kind of bring this out into the into the world so yeah well before steve i jump in i just want to say uh we want to pepper you with some questions because we were thinking the audience probably isn't super aware because we're barely aware but this is some really cool really cutting edge stuff that's statistics related but in a different vein right it's you use it more for looking at modeling uh games in terms of the betting market and and, and how the lines are set and like you said looking for uh inefficiencies so steve i think you got a question i'll let you go first and uh, and we'll just keep going like that yeah definitely how how what data do you amalgamate that that comes into these models like what what goes in so that way you can essentially spit out some sort of prediction because that's i from my root understanding from my reptilian brain is basically putting in data you know assigning a certain probably weight to that data and then you know you probably spit out some sort of score so if there's any sort of methodology that you can keep it simple enough for a neanderthal like me to understand i think everyone will appreciate yeah so what's basically um it's mostly based off of pff stats right i mean everybody we talk about pff grades right for teams and stuff what we do is i basically take all the stats for each team Works a little better for the NFL model, the NCAA model. You have to adjust it right. Obviously, this last weekend, uh, Alabama destroyed New Mexico State 50-something to three. So, obviously, you can't translate those stats into if they're playing Georgia in a couple weeks in the SEC championship game. You can't use those. I said you have to adjust them kind of down. But the theoretical, the basically what you do is you take those stats and then you basically create a tribute for each team, basically similar to the way you would create a Pokemon if you're making simulating that way. And what it does is I've basically analyzed play-by-play uh, -play data. Um, I did this originally for the NFL um, going to 2018. So basically I analyzed play-by-play -play data. I figured out uh, what team, what the average team would call in certain situations. So for example, first and 10, if they're up by a score or down by a score, what play are they running? Okay, run play. Okay, well then we know that our, we know that the team who has the ball is going to run. And then at that point then the other team they're going to be defending it. So we then randomly simulate what happens. Okay, they gained five yards. Cool. Next play, second and five. If they're up a score, down a score, like what's the score? How are they going to do that again? And what we do is we just simulate each game a thousand times, and then we just get the end result. So based on our football AI, and what we're able to do is we're able to adjust um, what each team does based on the, the plays they play, the, the calls, the, the plays they call through the year. So for example. If a team is a much more run-oriented team, so for example, you guys are playing Georgia Tech this week, Georgia Tech, obviously, triple option team, right? So they're going to be running the ball a lot more. So, for example, say it's a third and one, um, if some other teams might throw the ball in third and one situation, Georgia Tech, much more run-oriented, they're running the ball, right? We know they're going to run the ball. So the model is like, okay, it vastly increases the chances of them running the ball in that situation. So it, it's, it's not so much just like, here's some numbers, we spit out a score, we simulate each game a thousand times, then we, we extract data from that. We're, we're, we're building lines based off of that. Um, I want to start building in cover um, cover probabilities and, and some more stats like that. But yeah, it's 
it, it's really cool is what we can kind of do when we simulate a game a thousand times. Awesome. And I, I believe he's waiting. He's waiting for the red carpet here. You know, yeah. he's got his hand raise function, but instead of just jumping in, he he needs somebody to introduce him. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are also joined by P Wagon, and he, being the anti stats person on the show, I'm sure has a lot of questions for Rob. So, uh, P, jump in. I get that. I coach high school football, Rob. I think your model makes a lot of sense to me. But where do you account for once-in-a-lifetime generational talents? Dylan knows where I'm going with this. Do you take into account how special teams can change a game? <laughs> because Jay Bramblett is oh. worth four or five points a game. The San Diego State punter legitimately was worth five points in their game. So does, that, does your model take into account special teams being, in fact, special? Yeah, actually. Um, so, for example, it, if it gets to fourth down, right, obviously the, the model figures out the probability of a team going for it on fourth down based off of the score and, and how far to go to the down marker. At that point, then it's like, OK, we're going to call a punt. So then you bring out the punt, you bring out the punter stats. Again, PFF tracks all those stats. Random, uh, random distribution of punt length based on the average depth of punt. And then on the return length, you look at the return team, and then it, it tracks the return length on that. So there you go. It's got Perfect. an answer for everything. So basically, I'm flipping sold. the field does I'm have value. In. I'm sold. You have to that. <laughs> I am a follower. Um, now, I have a really quick question to follow up on that, and uh, and shout out Jay Bramblett and the entire Bramblett family. Um, now... I know that you mentioned a lot of this is PFF based. Um, now uh, we are quite familiar with EPA expected points added, and and just a quick recap of that: it's effectively, you know, how many points added per play, it, you know, is uh, is a player, right? Uh, what what did he do on that particular play? It was is it did he, a running back gain those yards because he's extremely talented, or was it the, the offensive line? Was it the scheme? And that's kind of factored into those analytics. And uh, now is that factored into your analysis? Um, so not exactly. I mean, again, I've, I've designed everything this way. Obviously I was trying to finish this off at the same time as finishing out my thesis. So, I mean, obviously this model is never final, right? Some changes are going to be made. I'm, I'm now I finished my thesis. I'm going to be working on some, some more changes this week. Um, but for next year, maybe we'll factor in more EPA. But at this point, the idea was that EPA is kind of way too flat of a metric. It just says like, what what exactly am I supposed to do with a 0.1 EPA or like a minus 0.7 EPA, right? Like it's it's extremely hard to model something based off of that. I wanted to kind of more get the the, the base attributes of of say a rushing attack or a rushing defense. And you get that more from yards per play, yards after like something like it for passing, yards after the catch. I, I kind of wanted those stats more because it gives you kind of a better contour of how an offense or a defense works. So it it kind of it, it, instead of having like, oh, each passing play they do is like point is like whatever EPA. If you're able to say, okay, well then if it, if a quarterback is like, it's pretty in depth. Like for example, if a quarterback throws deep 20% of the time and then they have this completion rate on this pass and then the other team has this completion rate on passes. So like you can get like I've, I try to maximize the contour of like seeing how like these offenses and defenses really interact. And the the idea initially, at least for the first version of this model, is that EPA is just too flat it's too generic of a metric to, to work that perfectly 
So. Yeah, yeah, I think if, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I understand EPA and the way you're doing it, because with stats, there's two components to it. There's the predictive element, and then there's a descriptive element. And EPA, while it does have predictive value, is far more valuable to us as a statistic to be more of a descriptive statistic. So explaining to you after the fact what happened on that play. So, you know, you, you ran the ball in first and 10 for, you know, two yards. Well, EPA will give you a better understanding of what that's valued after it's happened. Whereas uh, the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but your model is entirely predictive here. You're not assessing the value uh, of a quarterback with the stats you're using so much as you are assessing what kind of predictive value that quarterback will have in the game. Is that is that correct? Yeah, and, and just to put this from a simplified brain in mind, it's basically more so looking forward rather than looking back like EPA, right? Yeah, that's the thing, right? The idea is, the idea behind the model is simulate a game, right? We we walk through the game play by play, situation by situation. Okay, third down and 10, up by a score, down by a score. What's this team going to do? How will the quarterback be able to carry that out or not carry that? And then how will the opposing defense react to that? That's the entire idea. And then, again, I mean, hilariously enough, we could actually, like, I'm not at that point in the volume, but we could just work back and figure out what the EPA was for for all the for all the players in that game, but the idea is that again, this is based f- solely on betting line value, right? Getting an EPA like using EPA values in that case, you like the idea is that I think EPA is a great indicator of like what team. And if you want to say, oh, like Notre Dame is a better team than Georgia Tech, great, throw that in there. You can use those EPA values. That's great. But the problem is, is that if you're trying to do it, if you're, tr- when you're trying to model it to this degree. It, it's just kind of too flat a metric. It doesn't tell you what that's worth in terms of points in, in, in terms of the spread per se. You can try to correct it, but if you're trying to figure out how a strong running back will do, that's not particularly predictive when looking at the Notre Dame defense. So. Yeah, I think that's that's the best way to describe it. When we use EPA, it's more in hindsight, like Steve said, kind of going back, whereas your model is going forward, uh, making making those predictions. So something that I'd like to ask you, and I'm sure is on everybody's mind too, um, what's a, a good measuring stick for yourself? Like what's a good number of right versus wrong that you use? And uh, are, are you aware of maybe how you're performing against some other models? Yeah, so I mean, I'm actually not aware of a ton of other models. I know 538 has their own kind of, like ELO NFL model, but that feels like looking at it at a glance. I looked at it mostly last year, but like it, it feels like that's basically just regurgitating Vegas spreads. Um, so w- whenever I look at other NFL models, they seem to just kind of regurgitate a spread. Like they seem to be kind of like, oh, it's like if the Vegas spread is like two and a half, like, oh, we have this is one and a half. Well, it, when I looked at that, I'm like, what does that tell me about this game? Like, if the mo- if the line is biggest line is two and a half and your model says it's minus one and a half, then do I bet the two and a half? Like games games very rarely end on a two or a one, right? Like what does that mean? In my case, what I'm the thing I'm most proud of the model is it generally picks a side. Very rarely, I mean, a couple examples this week actually, um, it was very similar to the actual spread, but it picks a side. It like deliberately picks a side. It's like this is the side to bet, and it's kind of a more high risk high reward strategy. Um, but at the same time, though, like, you get all that reward. Like, for example, if the game says, and again, we had, um, the, there's a game with the Jets, um, Jets-Patriots a couple weeks ago, right? Um, Patriots minus seven. A lot of people were like, oh, we like the Jets here, plus seven. 
model had it. It's like a 30-point blowout. And it was, right? It was just, it was complete demolition, right? When the model says this is a blowout, it's generally a blowout. That's generally how it goes. And I like I I, I really like the model for that. Like so many times I've been able to bet a game. Like I was like, okay, here's a massive spread. I'm just like, no, take it because it's it's right. Right? Like when the the when, when the Ram, Rams played the Texans, um, stuff like that this weekend, right? Oregon State played Stanford. It was a 12 and a half spread. I think the model had that. Was definitely I, I definitely like that one. I bet that one and it, it cleared pretty easily, right? Generally, when the when the model thinks there's going to be a blowout, and unless it's like some weird thing where like it's like a really against the spread, like generally if, if like if someone's like a 12 or something point favorite and the model has them as like a 20 or 30 point favorite, generally they win. And I really like that in the ability of the model to kind of figure out what's going to be a blow before it actually happens. Because generally I feel like spreads are kind of middling. They don't want to have an extreme spread one way or the other. So I, I really like the, the model's ability to be able to call that. So that's one of the things I find successful in it. That's great. P, do you have a question for, for our guest? I do. Rob, you're very smart. Uh, I've known you. you for 47 minutes, and I think that you're a very smart human. Uh, also, also, just a big congratulations to you, Robert, on behalf of us for defending your thesis. Uh, Robert is a master's student at uh, Brock University in Canada. Awesome. That's, that's such a big accomplishment, and we're all very proud of you. Back to, back to P-Wagon. Yes, so in the 47 minutes I've known you, you've said a lot of stuff that makes me uh, think that you are smarter than I am. Uh, there's these people on Reddit, uh, mostly in the sports book, uh, or whatever it's called over there, and they come up with these models that don't seem like they have any semblance of what you just spoke about. How can you tell what a good model is versus what a completely crazy person living in his basement model is? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it kind of is the same thing. It's kind of the same thing as election modeling as well. Like, it, one of the things about the election model is that it's able to find value that other people aren't able to find. Um, for example, like most recently in terms of Canada and the UK is able to find, again, not getting so much to politics, but able to find areas that are trending from one party to another very well. In football, I think a lot of these, when you're looking at like kind of the higher, like when you're looking at the sports books and a lot of people like the, the sharp players and stuff, I think they're trying to find, like they're really insanely looking to try to find value on a certain, on a key number here or a certain spread here. They're kind of obsessed with this value that they don't, they're not kind of going back to basics and trying to figure out, okay, well, this team has this inherent advantage over this team, but yet they're getting points, right? Like it's stuff like this. And I think if you're able to build a model that's able to exploit and kind of differentiate between these differences and, and maximize those differences I, I think that's a really successful model um if, if you if you like honestly if i built this model and it was like okay the, the sports book says this is a seven point game and i've got this as a six and a half game i think that would be a failure for me because i mean obviously we, there's sometimes obviously i'm not gonna sometimes the model has exactly what it was so for example this weekend with uh tampa bay and washington the model actually had that line basically exactly where it was so, okay, I'm not going to throw the entire model because of that, but there's a lot of other ones that were different, right? If every single game I was like almost exactly the same as the sports books, I view that as a failure because we're trying to find an edge on the sports books, right? And, and that's the whole point of building a model is to is to build something better, right? Sports books are, I mean, people are, I guess the spread are like generally sub 500 or maybe a good, a good player is about 500 or so. 
if you beat the spread 55, 60%, even more than 60% in some cases, then you've got a good model, especially with, the way to do that is you have to kind of throw out the way everything's been working so far in terms of like spreads and ELOs and, and basically power rankings and all that stuff. And you just got to get to fundamentals and, and try to figure out where, who has an inherent advantage over who and, and, and why. And then I think that's the, that's the key point in, in building a model and, and what makes it successful or not. Now, you, you brought up percentages there of a good model. Do you know what your model's hitting at, either the NFL one or the college one? I haven't completely done it yet. Um, the I know for we've had, I think, four weeks of public NFL stuff. Um, first week was really good. Second week was 500. Third week was really good. This last week had some problems, but there's issues at times that, like, for example, it's really bad when, there, when you throw in a new quarterback because of the stats. So, for example, uh, uh, Carolina this weekend started uh, Philip Walker. Uh, the only stats I had on were for preseason. He vastly overperformed where I thought he would. Colt McCoy, again, he was only he only had one regular season start, which was amazing. So the model was like, oh, Colt McCoy is this amazing player, right? And then he sucked, right? So the problem is I, there's still some, some bugs that are being worked out um, in terms of some of this stuff. But, I mean, overall – like it i still like it in a lot of cases and again this is still a bit of a process but like i'm still liking a lot of like it has some really really good weeks and then if the bad weeks are like 500 or so that's okay right you're still massively plus if you if you sometimes go like i think the one weekend was like 10 and 1 against the spread like if you go 10 and 1 against the spread next weekend you go 500 you're good right like that's no no one's going to be complaining about that right that's the thing the key is now figuring out why are some games wrong, and I—I I mean, there are some games, we had some bad calls this weekend, and but then also some middling calls, like for example, the Tampa Bay one, right? So obviously Washington won, Brady had a horrible game, but if the spread was like the model spread was ten and a half, real life spread was ten. It who do you take in that game, right? Are you gonna? I guess technically the model's taking Tampa Bay, but are you really taking Tampa Bay in that game, right? Like there's a lot of games that are kind of weird calls in that case you can't just necessarily say oh the model would have taken Tampa Bay so it's wrong because if it's only 10 and a half very well could have covered on a 10 right so a lot of things that we're still working on in terms of that but I yeah I think making some solid progress and I think this is this is a really good model I, I like what it's done so far all right so from what it's been sounding like to me, as the the finance brain of the the podcast just said finance very weird. So I'm gonna do that one more time. So th as the finance guy of the podcast, I, I do the stonks. Um, it sounds like uh, effectively that you you're almost like a value trader in that you're finding the the undervalued picks or the undervalued play and and therefore you're you're able to eat, even if you're hitting at a lower clip, but if you're getting like the right underdogs, you're going to end up in the green from from a gambling standpoint, right? Yeah, and and even then, like you don't always have to bet every game, right? Like if the models, like it, yeah, like the game I just described, right? If it was like ten and a half, if the model said ten and a half Tampa Bay and the spread was ten, right? You just like oh, don't don't bet that game, right? I even I post some of these on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, stay away from this. Don't touch this. This is bad. Don't mess with it, right? But like sometimes it's like um, like the model had Chargers minus two two. 
in, in the spread this week, right? The spread was like Minnesota plus three. You take Minnesota plus three, great. You're, you're winning, right? Again, a lot of times some like some of those games are like 50-50. Um, right now, tonight, oh, I, for, oh I, I forgot to post it tonight. Shoot. Uh, but the model actually had um, Rams San Francisco as like a pick It actually had San Francisco plus one on the spread. Uh, right now, San Francisco has a seven-point lead as I'm watching live. But, yeah, so, like, this is the thing. Um, a lot of times, and again, the spread was like four, right? So a lot of the times it's able to pick off when a game should be a lot closer and should be more of a, like a 50-50 than, a, um, than kind of a, a blowout that some games see. So, like, it, a lot of times finding the value is the right play, and it does a really good job of finding value in a lot of cases. So, Rob, I'm going to try to restate how I understand your model. For the yeah. audience, and you correct me, okay? So you tell me okay. where what I said right and what I said wrong, just because I want to put it in as easy terms for the audience as possible. And I think by retrying re to replicate it, we might get there. Okay. Um, okay. So the way I understand it is, you're going to collect a lot of volume stats and per yardage stats. So yeah. you're looking at yards per carry, but you're also going to look at tendencies. Tendencies referring to the score of the game where you are on the field at the game, the time that the game is in, home and away, you're going to have access to all of that data, which is a lot of data, right? You're going to know the team's tendencies in a whole load of situations. You will know the results, what they do, what kind of production they get from it. And you basically put that into a little machine <laughs> and simulate it a bunch of times, and it gives you a score. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so, yeah, right now what it's doing is it's just averaging the score over all 1,000 games. I'm going to work more on physically covering spreads. I think this week I'm going to build it so that it, like, I could basically say, hey, three and a half, the spread's three and a half, how often does this team cover the spread? And then we'll get better spread picture than that. But, yeah, that, that's exactly how the month works, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, I, I, I will segue here um, and, and kind of move to uh, to a recap here. But was there anything – what did your model say about ND versus UVA uh, heading into this past weekend? Yeah, so the model – now, I, I had only updated the model. I hadn't updated it for uh, UVA's quarterback going down. Um, I, I had the original starter uh, – I believe his name is Brandon Armstrong in there. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, I had Notre Dame winning the game by 9.3 points. So about a 10-point favorite. Um, I believe the spread, at one point the spread was like 4, 5. I think it got up to about a 6 or a 7 at one point. So the model definitely would have taken ND on the spread, and, and, and ND won that game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the model is, is pretty good for that. I haven't updated it yet for this week. Um but yeah, and again, so once you take out the starting quarterback, then obviously the spread for my model would have been a lot bigger. Brandon Armstrong's an out, kind of like an outer Heisman candidate, right? But again, a very good quarterback and, and definitely one of the reasons why the game ended 28-3 to and VA couldn't put any, any more points on the board on the weekend. But yeah, I think um, like it, it does a good job for, for finding stuff like that, especially when, like a game, when sometimes it thinks a game is close. If that game's going to be a blowout, the model can actually kind of start picking that up pretty early. So that's great. No, it's and I think 10 points is that that looks fair. I think had Virginia had their quarterback in the game, um, they really struggled to move the ball. Um, P, if you're there, I have a question for you. So we, we just asked about what the model thinks. What does yep. Coach Wagon see from the Notre Dame Virginia game? What's what's your take on it? How did we play? What did you like? Well, the quarterback from 
Virginia should stick to playing baseball. Hmm. Uh, he may also want to convert to being an outfielder because he sucks. Uh, what did I see as a coach? I saw an overmatched quarterback who was shitting his pants back there uh, against a very good defense. I saw offensively a competent offense who moved the ball just enough to know what they were doing to go up 28 to three to win the game. That that's as simple as I can put it. The game was never in doubt. It was a very well coached game. And while fans are calling for blood and calling for their head, they controlled the clock. They dominated and you don't need a score of 70, 80 points to dominate. They scored 28 and that was enough that they needed to do to win. I thought defensively Riley Mills played great. I thought he was probably the best player on the field. And Mm -hmm. I thought offensively they showed enough to annoy their next three or four opponents. Uh, We know what, we know what Buckner can do. We know what uh, Cone can do, but they were, they were showing enough tape on the new stuff that they're putting in. That's going to annoy Georgia Tech this week, Stanford the following week, and our CFP uh, semifinal and CFP final opponents. Uh, So really with that, I thought it was a very well-coached game overall, especially with seven seniors out, I think it was, and the majority (laughs) of the captains out as well. For the youth that were on the field, it was a great game. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of that, right? A lot of freshmen see the field for Notre Dame. Logan Diggs. Lorenzo Style had another great game. Deion Colsey's out there. Tyler, the future Heisman winner, Buckner. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves with the quarterback discussion because this podcast has been a loyal defender of Jack Cohn from the start. And Steve, how did Jack Cohn play? He played really well, man. I mean, his his QBR, uh, according to ESPN, which is a kind you know, again, it's their kind statistic. Of a, Exactly. PBR, yeah. They invented it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's pretty accurate as in, in terms of grading performances, as, as we've seen. And, and he was an 81.7. Pre- pretty damn good. And, and again, any time over 75 for a QBR on, on a scale from 1 to 100 is, is good. And, and he was definitely above average. So, yeah, 15 for 20 with only 132 yards. He did throw an interception. Uh, and, and people are thinking, oh, well, you know, that that's just not going to be enough to, to beat you know, enter ABC team when it comes to January, right? But you have to understand, you know, what, who were they playing? What were the game circumstances? What did it call for? We rushed for 250 yards. We didn't need Jack Cohn to go out there and, and fire off, you know, a Florida state like performance. It would have been nice. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I very much so like Jack Cohn and I will state, I will jump on my soapbox time and time again and say, Jack Cohn is an NFL quarterback. Uh, you know, there's been some circumstances early on in the year where he was not as fleet of foot and that kind of led to some frustrations. Offensive line played fantastic and really protected him. And, and, you know, hitting at a 75% completion percentage really showed that he sees the field and he knows what to do. So did, you know, did he have a, a Heisman performance? No. Did he have an extremely good performance in a game that was never in doubt? I think that's where this, you know, that's the, the basic summation of Jack Cohn and even Tyler Buckner in this game. Yeah, I'm going to switch it over to you, but I do have a question for you once once you're done. So 
away with it. Yeah, just real quick with what Steve said. I am sick and tired of every single fan in our mentions after every game saying how Notre Dame doesn't have the killer instinct and is the same old Kelly and blah, 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 blah. He is the all-time leader in Notre Dame coaching wins. He's not there to just jerk off on the field. He's there for a reason. It's it's ridiculous to me. And L1,500 people in our mentions, oh, he's the same old Kelly. They don't have the killer instinct. It doesn't matter. He has the most wins of all time of any he, that's... fucking coach. That's so good. When Notre Dame wins a national championship, and it we won't believe be they enough. will eventually. No, it no, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to have the, t- I already kind of have the tweet ready, and it's going to be like in all caps. It'll be like, you know, the king of college football's reclaimed its crown or something along those lines. And it'll be so happy. We'll be the happiest we've ever been in our life. And the mentions will be like, yeah, but we didn't have the killer instinct tonight. <laughs> We only won the national championship yeah, by three yeah. points. They, yeah, they yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't put Alabama away by 15. In the fourth quarter. Why'd they take the knee at the end of the game? <laughs> it's ridiculous. V- victory formation at the 50-yard line to win yeah. the title. How dare they not? Why didn't the they kick the field goal? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a little bit in between there because, like, I I do want to I did want to see us put up like 42 points and really just bury them. But simultaneously, you also have to understand your know, game flow and and you know controlling the clock but, and everything. So and, there's there's a balance. And the other thing, like Bronco Mendenhall has notoriously teams that are less than clean. I'm not going to use the D word, but they're they're not always the nicest out there. Why? Right. Someone said like, why why didn't we run Kyron Williams for 400 yards? Because we need him against Stanford, Georgia Tech, and the two CFP opponents. We already lost Kyle Hamilton for the year. Why hey, risk it? R.I.P. Too early. Why, too why early. risk it? So that, that's my opinion. So Notre Dame fans do better. So for any of the listeners who haven't been on Twitter today, uh, Coach Kelly announced that Kyle Hamilton is done for the regular season and probably for the postseason, although it sounds like if we were to make the playoff... And and just a little side note, that was my mouth. That wasn't me playing any audio. Last time I played audio, we almost got like booted out of the universe from yeah. from Apple and everything. J- James Blunt has it out for us yeah. <laughs> for a minor copyright infringement. Um, <laughs> Steve, I I do want to give my condolences there as you know, captain of the Cap- Kyle fan Hamilton fan club for well, that three years Greg's now. Song, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, but you were there I'm first. The he, he I'm on the board. You were you were the you were the first person I knew who was this kid's gonna win a Heisman basically, um, not that he has but you, you get the point a defensive Heisman, sure. um, in, in our heart. Um, all right, if this was Kyle Hamilton's, if that's the end of Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame, just allow me and everybody to say, just wow, what what a what a player. Um, we we have not seen a talent like that at Notre Dame uh, that often, and without question, I think the best safety this school's probably ever produced. So, Kyle, we love you. Feel better. Hopefully we see you in the postseason. If not, good luck in the NFL. We know you're going to be great. Secure uh, the bag. Secure the bag, always. We're pro-athlete on this show. Um, P, I want to ask about the offensive line. Then I've got a question for Steve, and then we'll bring Robert back into it because we're just going off on all these Notre Dame tangents. And he is an Oregon Ducks fan, so he's got a lot of insight there. Um, all right, Pete. Offensive line, why has it been better? We were talking at the beginning of the season. If the offensive line could just be average, we'd win a national championship. Well, guess what? We've got an, off- we got an average offensive line now. 
Is it Joe Alt? It has a true freshman, like six foot nine giant from Minnesota who's played like no high school football. Is he the reason our offensive line has been saved? What what's going on there? Well, a lot of it probably has to do you work from the the inside out. Uh, really starts with the center. Uh, Jared Patterson's been able to f- kind of flush out the rest of that line. Um, you were you were against Patterson at the start of the season. Might I still I am. I still am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not over. You fumble one snap, you're dead to me. Um, so. <laughs> He has been able to take that senior leadership on, and I think it really showed after North Carolina, NC State, one of the games. UNC. Fight, UNC, there we go. There was a fight leaving the field, and it was him, Kyron Williams, Kyle Hamilton, like all the captains ready to fight and ready to throw down with the opposing team. I was UNC because Nick McLeod and I talked about that after. Um, but he started to come into his own, which then kind of by osmosis allowed the rest of the line to come into his own. Joe Alt is huge for everything there. And I could see him and Blake Fisher starting together next year with Rocco Spindler. And it's just it's just gonna be such a mess. It's gonna be it's gonna be a Wisconsin offensive line. And you know, them moving the ball quicker, them doing no huddle. Uh, has helped a lot because then defensively you can't put a new package onto the field. And it, yep. if you keep that, if you don't sub out and you run in that no huddle offense, it's giving us time to do anything. And it's interesting to see that because when you start playing uh, Brett Venable's defense at Clemson or uh, whoever the coach of Georgia is, they're very good at making those substitutions. But if you can't sub, you go in first down and nickel package, you're stuck there until you're at the 30. Like, so I, I think it's a combination of both, but it does start with Jared Patterson and Joe Alt has been a huge help and he's just getting great game experience right now. Yeah. You brought up Blake Fisher. Um, that's what I think makes that guy so great is he's got position versatility. He can, he can be your left tackle and move Alt to the right, or he could be guard uh, next to Alt. And uh, I mean, Fisher's probably, set to come back pretty soon right he was he was scheduled to be i think a november return it was about um, six to eight so yeah right around now is when he should start working back in and even if we don't see him this year that's not a big deal he'll get the medical red shirt uh or just the game's red shirt because he didn't play in four so we'll have him for for a while um steve i, I want to ask you something too thinking about who played well saturday why is it that our backup mike linebacker Bo bauer and our like fifth cornerback converted to a nickel slash safety, Ramon Henderson, had maybe the two best performances on the defense. How? What do you count there, and, and how impressive were they for you? They were phenomenal. I, I think uh, just going with the corner or, or you know, Ramon in, in general, he played pretty downhill. Um, he was amazing. He yeah, was I mean the ball. I, he was able to, you know, he you saw him a lot at the line of scrimmage. He, he obviously, I think he had a sack. I'm pretty sure he had one or two tackles for loss. So like he kind of was flying all over the field and he seems like a disruptor at the line of scrimmage, right? It, it, especially if, if they want to drop him down into a nickel or even just put him into the box. He, he seems like he has the body. I mean, that's the new Notre Dame prototype at corner or even defensive back is, is typically like six, one to six, three. They're trying to get away from those, you know, five, 10 guys of, of the past. 
Um, and, and, you know, with those quick twitch muscles, with that body mass, he's able to fill gaps really quickly. So, you know, Henderson, I, I, the, the future's bright for that kid. Uh, I, I genuinely think we'll see him playing on Sundays, and, and I think there will be some conversations in regards to uh, some postseason awards, if not next year, then maybe the year after. I think he's, what, a, a sophomore? Uh, so he's he is. I would like to say, if any Notre Dame pr- player breathes, Steve says on this show the next week, he'll have a future on Sunday. You want to go through the entire 2022 recruiting class? I'll tell you, every single guy is going to be no. on the field on Sunday. Please don't. <laughs> Steve, Steve knows all these guys' parents' names probably. He is oh a recruiting God. fanatic. Oh yeah, love him. I, no, you will uh, again propaganda podcast. I will juice every single guy up there. Uh, you know, from top to bottom of this roster, they all belong playing on Sundays. But regardless of uh, you know that that covers Henderson and Bo Bauer. I mean, there's so much admiration I have for the guy. He's um, he's obviously talented enough to be a starter. He's had you know more of a, a role player role. Had to step in this week with uh, with White Drew White being out. So and he's fantastic in coverage. He did have he almost had that one handed interception. Um, he just, he swarms around the ball. I, I think he's him and, you know, JD Bertrand, you know, JD Bertrand does run downhill a lot and he does make a lot of tackles. He also misses a lot of tackles and, and JD, you know, that, that's more of a mentality thing. You know, looking at the player's hips, kind of uh, being a little bit more predictive. And I, I think he has some, some growth in that regard, but he's still pretty talented. As for Bo, seems like he has more of a bead on the ball carrier, or he's able to really diagnose a play when it's uh, when a passing play, and that's what makes him so great in coverage. So, uh, you know, he's made so many big plays throughout this season. You know, he obviously had what the pick six. He's had, I think, a, a fumble recovery, uh, a pretty key one. So, like, he he just seems to always be a, around. So. Um, can't express enough how good those guys are. And even on the back end, you look at the interception, I think what was it DJ Brown uh, you know, taking in, yep. taking over for Kyle, who's you know going to be the starter going forward. Uh, you know, you got to give him a shout out as well. He's, he's played the position. Well, you, you don't give up the big shot. I, when's the last time we gave up a really, I don't think we've given up a really long passing, you know, play over the middle of the field in, in forever, right? We, we've pretty much locked down the middle of the field on the corners. You know, if you get a one-on-one ball, that's where it gets a little iffy, but really to be fair, we were playing a backup quarterback. Of course. Yeah. yeah but I mean, even if you think back to, to Howell, right? I don't think Howell really burned us deep over the middle of the field. He might've got us on the sidelines, but seems like we're kind of locking that down, which is good news. All right. Let's transition out of this. I want to bring our great guest back in. Rob, you're an Oregon Ducks guy. Yes. Um, right now, you're kind of public enemy number one with Notre Dame, not because we hate Oregon, just because Oregon's blocking our path into the football playoff, uh, which we'll get into in a bit. But I want to ask you, you know, speaking of the playoff, Oregon has not been back since the initial year when um, you, I believe, beat Florida State into submission. I don't think Florida State has been the same since that game. Broke. Uh, obviously, yeah, because, I mean, they've fallen apart completely. In fact, I believe you just scored another touchdown on them. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you know, lose to Ohio State in the title game. Oregon's not really been the same since either. Now, when I grew up, Oregon was one of the best teams you could find. That was the Mariota years. From an Oregon fan's perspective, how, how do you see the program? Is there an, a big impetus to get back into that playoff? Because the Pac-12 is very vulnerable right now, and you should kind of be running that if USC isn't. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly the point, right? I think Oregon is, like, every year, I think we always talk about, like, objectivity of the of the committee, and it's kind of not really true, but we all know that, right? But at the same time, there's pretty much only two teams from the Pac-12 that are going to go to the playoffs, right? Either USC, Oregon, maybe, like, Washington, but, like, that's kind of fringe, and that's about it, right? Like, we know there's really two teams here, right? And USC is, is really not been, not been having a great uh, couple of years here, right? So, uh, obviously, we've been... Yeah, obviously, we benefited from that. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think Oregon is, is definitely one of the top teams in the Pac-12. And I think that, yeah, the, the priority is obviously getting to the playoff or the... Um, or the Rose Bowl any given year, depending on on where on how many losses Oregon has. That's basically how that goes. And and yeah, I think I mean it, it's obviously hard. This is in my opinion, this isn't the best Oregon team we've had in a while. I mean, on defense, it certainly is. Right, it was always frustrating with Oregon, where they'd always used to put up like fifty points and then have thirty points put up on them by like some random team. This year, they definitely clamped down on defense. Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously huge there. He's definitely going to be drafted in in early first round. Probably to, I mean, the Eagles have like all the top 10 draft picks, probably the Eagles just by <laughs> chance. Um, but I mean, yeah, the defense is good. Anthony Brown is like, okay. Um, when you tell me that the the tran- that the quarterback is a transfer for Boston College, it's a little bit scary. But I mean, again, he's, he's more of a running quarterback. This isn't the same offense we had under like Justin Herbert or, or, or as you mentioned, um, Mariota, nice. right? So, yeah. So like, it's, it's not the best offense we've had, but at the same time, it's a relatively balanced game, right? Like, I, like obviously, when you look at some teams, like you look at Georgia, Georgia's just a smothering defense. They will just, they will, like, they will completely shut down your plays. They will make you make mistakes, and then they're like, oh, cool, we intercepted you with the ball on the 30-yard line. Okay, offense. Okay, middle-tier offense. Just punch it in, right? Or like, oh, we just actually just got a pick six. Cool, okay, now get the ball back, and we're going to push you back. And, like, so Georgia's defense is just so good. And our defense isn't as good as Georgia's, and our offense is probably not as good as something like Ohio State. But if you could find that kind of that middle ground, that Goldilocks, that's not a bad team. Like, that, that's a definitely okay team. I mean, obviously, Ohio State scored a lot of points against us, but he scored a lot of points against Ohio State enough to win the game, right? So, like, yeah, I think Oregon's kind of a sleeper pick. I think this is kind of a down year for everybody, right? Even Oregon isn't as strong as they have been in the past, but I think the defense has kept them in there. And I think in, in a year in which not everybody has been as good as, as people thought they were going to be, I think this could be kind of anybody's year at this point. I'm still not, I'm not, I'm not ready to call this for Georgia yet. You know, we, we've been kind of thinking that too, actually, I think realizing how mid tier Georgia's offense is that maybe we don't get blown out by 700. If we play Georgia in the game, um, I, I want to ask you two things. One, do, do you have the capability to theoretically run a simulation between two teams right now, or does that require a little more notice and uh, energy? Um, if you give me a couple minutes, I probably could. Yeah, which which teams do you want? Okay, so we'll we'll circle back at the end. So you do it when you when when we're talking to P wagon or someone boring. Um, I want to see what Notre Dame and Oregon would be on a neutral field. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, I don't suspect you have any bias in your modeling at all, just knowing you, you know, there's there's no way, there's no secret Oregon plus three formula. Um, and then what I was going to ask you um, after that, um, uh, yes, can you give us the secrets on how you beat Ohio State at Ohio State? And I'm asking... For someone whose team starts the 2022 season 
at Ohio State, and I'm very interested in learning how to do it. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing of it is, so this year, obviously when Oregon played Ohio State, I had considered betting on Oregon, and they were like 14.5-point dogs. I was going to bet spread money line, but I didn't. And there was something I saw that made me think they could win, but ultimately I realized, I'm like, look, we're such a big dog. If we win this game, I'm just going to be happy anyways, so that's fine for me. I don't need to, like, because if we lose, then it's going to be even worse, right? Because it's like, oh. We got, like, blown out, right? So I decided that the, the win would just be good enough. But the thing of it was I actually had hope. I actually kind of thought Oregon could pull off the upset. Week one, remember who Ohio State played, right? They played Minnesota. What did Minnesota do against And that game was surprisingly close, right? Ohio State eventually covered the spread. I think it was, like, 14-point spread. They eventually covered it. Or maybe they did. It was it was very close to covering the spread. I can't remember either way. But they're, at, their time, at that time, running back, I think it was um, Ibrahim, he just ran all over them. He was able to, to rack up so many rushing guards, and they kept the game so close. And event, now Minnesota's lost all the running backs due to, to injury at that point. But I knew Oregon has a good rushing attack, right? Anthony Brown's actually kind of more of a rushing quarterback. So I, I suspected Oregon was going to be able to run the ball and be able to stay in the game because of that. But I didn't bet it anyways. And sure enough, we now saw Oregon win that game, right? So this week, and again, this is a very interesting matchup, not even for, for you guys next season, but for this week. Who do they play this week? Michigan State. Who's the one player at Michigan State who's under consideration for the Heisman? Kenneth Walker, Walker. the running back, right? This game isn't a blowout. I My mom's got this is about a 10-point game. That's before last week. So this is not over, right? The spread's about 19 and a half. I've got spread. I've got, I've got money line just a bit because maybe you can see an upset here. But, like, this is not over. Don't bury Michigan State here because if Ohio State's having a problem with the, rush, with the running attack because, like, that's what they had with Oregon and I think – some other teams that have kept it close to them, they've been able to run the ball against them as well. Kenneth Walker could run all over them. Like, you could start breaking off, like, 60, 80-yard touchdowns. This game is not is not just going to be over really quick. Like, Michigan State's going to be able to put up a fight here. And, again, you guys talk about your running back, Kyron Williams, if he's back next year. I assume he is. I think it's, he's not he's not out of out of college yet. Um, but if he's, if he's back next year against Ohio State, you might be able to have that. It's not it's not over. So, so yeah. I'm not. Um, I, I think um, the, the way to beat Ohio State leads this year currently is rushing attack. Now again, this is extremely variable because again we don't know who or Ohio State's got coming up. They got a couple of good linebackers from like Ohio or something come up next year. You don't know, right? But at the same time, that's what they're really being hurt by a rushing attack this year. So we'll have to see definitely what happens this weekend with with Michigan State. And a follow up really quickly while we're on the topic: Is there a way to stop C.J. Stroud? He did struggle against Tulsa of all schools. He also struggled two weeks ago against Nebraska, That even though they w- still pulled it out. But, I mean, true freshman, 30 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's He looks like he's averaging like 375 yards a game. I, I, I have a comment on that. Yeah. Is C.J. Stroud that good, or does he just have like two of the best receivers, or does he just have the two best receivers in college football playing for him? Like, that's, that's something also to think about. Like, Chris Olav or Olivier, or however you say his name, oh, wow, um, and and the other stud they got there. Like, Ohio State's got a lethal, lethal passing attack. He's also, and sure, I mean, CJ's part of that, but I, I wonder if he's actually that good um, at this age. He's also a 20-year-old freshman. Like, he's going to be collecting retirement by the time he leaves Ohio State. What is he, a hockey player? Apparently. Like, I just I just Google him because I don't spend too much time thinking about Ohio State. Uh, yeah, he was born October 3rd, 2001. 
And if my math is correct, he turned 20 in the middle of the season this year. I want to throw up knowing that someone born in 2001 is 20 years old. I'm so fucking old, dude. Yeah, me too. Okay, can we agree that Ohio State may have the worst fans in college football? No. Really? Have you seen seen our mentions? Have you not seen our the Ohio State fans who saved our tweets from the summer about recruiting in our mentions? I don't know. You, you, know you two are the rascals uh, that that always get us into hot water. So, listen, SC- listen. Yeah, we we are not the same. I pissed off four LSU fans. P wagon set a fire on the state of Alabama. We had different <laughs> wars. He nearly got us canceled. <laughs> At one yeah. point, Notre Dame Reddit hated us for whatever reason. We had, a, we had a Reddit thread with a million impressions. Uh, so I just do. There's no such thing it. as bad publicity, baby. Uh, except for our star rating. So uh, subscribe, rate us five stars, everyone who's still listening. Yeah, we're still feeling the effects of some of those Bama fans giving us one-star reviews. Um, to be fair, all you said was a certain L, like uh, SAT score was required to get in at I Alabama, and they, they inferred they call, the rest. They called me ageist because I said, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I turned it into, you're a mean one, Coach Saban. Like, yeah. so. I was also told I had a, a Northeastern bias. And I'm like, I'm Canadian. I'm not part of this, but sure. More north, more north bias. <laughs> well, yeah, more north. <laughs> okay. Um, fuck Ohio State is basically where I was getting with that. I really can't stand them. Um, I hate Michigan. I hate Alabama. I hate everyone. That's not Notre Dame, basically. I don't mind Oregon, actually. <laughs> Oregon's fine. Um, okay. I wanted to ask uh, Steve a question about Georgia. And that gives you a little bit of time, Rob, to, to play around with some numbers. Uh, Steve, you anointed Georgia the national championship in week one, basically. You've been cowardly hiding under the bed there saying Notre Dame should take a bowl game instead of a Georgia playoff matchup. Have you changed your position at all after seeing Georgia just kind of get by Tennessee and never really threaten anyone offensively? I'm starting to soften on it. I, I still think that, you know, when their defense is firing on all cylinders, it's practically impossible. And, and it, you know, obviously our, our offensive line has had uh, various woes throughout the season. Although, you know, again, as a podcast that celebrates success, you gotta, you gotta give a huge shout out to the offensive line and how far they've come uh, in the middle of the season. Right. So uh, I'm feeling better. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think that their offense are world beaters, right. And they're more of a grind the clock type of team anyway. Uh, what does concern me is they do still have a somewhat mobile quarterback. Not exactly our strongest suit as it turns out currently, but you know, uh, again, with all of our future first round pick NFL superstars in the 2022 linebacker class, I think we'll be fine in that regard going forward. But for this year, um, it it just seems like we would still probably be 13 to 17 point underdogs. Um, but yeah, maybe hey, more. you know what? There, there was once a team that uh, a division one double a team at the time that was massive underdogs that went into the big house in, in the up, up north and they come out with an upset. So anything can happen on any given Saturday, as we've learned, especially in a, in a year as insane as this. Um, but I, 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 I'm starting to come along to, you know what, you know, we, we might have something to play for. This team is starting to really build upon something. Defense is looking good. 
um, you know, Marcus Freeman kind of settling into his own. And if we could hold Georgia to 20 points or less, that becomes a winnable game. And I and I think we are playing at a level that we could potentially hold Georgia to 20 or less. It's the inverse of Alabama last year, right? If we could score 35 points, we could win the game. Whereas now, if we can hold the team to 20 points, we could win the game. Um, I have a point and a parallel I want to make on Georgia. But first, I have to find out what kind of defense they run. So, P, um, or Steve, I, I haven't watched much Georgia this year. Am I wrong to assume they, they run a predominantly man defense? I don't watch. Uh, keep going I, with the I thought do, exercise. I'm going to ask my contact. Okay. I Let's do want see. to say, I put it on the bulletin board if they even have them down there. I want Georgia. I'm not afraid of Georgia. Who have they played? Dandy, Charleston Southern this weekend, Tennessee, Ole Miss. Ooh, okay. They didn't play Ole Miss this year. They played didn't UAB, Clemson, no, at USC, Vandy, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Mizzou, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech. They right, I was thinking of Arkansas. Are nine, nine of 12 teams are at or above 500. Five are, above, are fully above 500. Notre Dame has seven teams that are at or above 500 and four that are fully above 500. The only difference between Georgia and Notre Dame is that Notre Dame has a loss to a team that's 10 and up. That's it. Yeah, Georgia's schedules looked a little weaker in hindsight with Auburn falling apart and Arkansas falling apart uh, and Clemson falling apart. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend they haven't played anybody. Those are good teams. And Florida and Florida. We yeah. thought Florida was good, which is what's confusing, too, because Florida played Bama tight, and we thought, oh. Oh, okay, Florida's good this year. But Florida actually doesn't look very good. Steve, Steve you have an answer? 42 points to, like, a Division three school that's at, at halftime. Um, Notre Dame by two touchdowns. <laughs> it is worth also noting that, you know, with with UGA, oh, man, I'm, I'm, this thought is just getting away from me right now. We're probably going to have to cut this. Oh, uh, no. I just had it. You know what? Circle back right. around me. We'll cut that out. All right, Steve. You go back to your thinking chamber. Oh, fuck. This is going to be my night. It's all right. I had a point anyway. Um, so the parallel I want to draw, and I bring on this game a lot because it's one of my favorite games, 2018 Michigan. And the reason I bring that up is Michigan had one of the best defenses in the country that year. Uh, Michigan played man. That's why I asked if Georgia played man. The reason I want to bring that parallel is because, as you will recall, Notre Dame beat Michigan that year. And how did they do it? Well, there was two factors. One, Brandon Wimbush was a dual-threat quarterback and mobile. Michigan could not take him down. He kept extending plays. Two, we attacked them deep. They didn't play with safety coverage, so we threw it at their corners. And as you recall, that worked out a lot. How to beat Georgia if they play man, or assuming they're playing, nece- not necessarily man, but an aggressive defense. If you are a a box-stacking defense, like I think of the SEC, um, that could be the way to win. Now, the problem Notre Dame has is you have one of those two elements, but not both, right? Jack Cohn will throw the ball deep on you, and we will expose you if he wants to. If that's part of the game plan, Jack Cohn can do it. We know how good his arm is. Problem is, Jack Cohn's not very mobile, and he's going to be basically meat for that Georgia D-line to get at. Maybe enter Tyler Buckner, who knows, but there are ways to attack Georgia's defense that I think Notre Dame could utilize. I don't 
I'm not saying we're going to beat Georgia. I'm just saying I feel a lot better about that game too now because Notre Dame's defense has improved. Georgia's offense isn't very good. And if we're playing a race to 21, you know, it only takes one or two big throws to put you up seven or 14. So, Steve, I'll, I'll pass that to you. Yeah, and just kind of circling back because my brain finally started working again comparably. And they're probably not the same base defense or probably not the same exact scheme, you know, apples to apples. But Wisconsin, people don't really understand. Their defense in Wisconsin is unbelievable. Like, they are a top five defense, I'm pretty sure, by all, like, available metrics and stats. So if we were able to beat Wisconsin, and, you know, we did score, like, what, two defensive touchdowns in that game to close out. But at the end we of the still, day, we put up, went up like 28 on them, I think. Yeah, like uh, uh, Chris Tyree had his has had his you know, return touchdown. We had two uh, two re- you know touchdowns on defense, but we still did put up yards and we we did score. And that was when our offensive line was objectively way worse than they are currently. Right. So we've already been through the meat and potatoes of our schedule. That's why we're able to, you know, pretty, you know, knock on wood, pretty comfortably coast at this point to an 11 and one record, presumably. Um, so, yeah, if 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 we were able to at the very least do something against against Wisconsin at call it our worst, then as we're hitting our stride, that's actually giving me a little bit more confidence as we head into into a potential playoff spot and a potential number one, four seed. That's a good point. All right, Rob, I want to get you back in on this. Let's talk the committee. Let's talk playoff. Um, I know you have a lot to say, so like just free free range. Just start ranting. What 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 pisses you off the most, or or what intrigues you the most? Yeah. So I mean, obviously it's it's so insane. Everything, just pretty much everything about the committee and and how they rank things. Um, I mean, obviously at some point it's my intention to be able to have like the model, be able to at least for college, probably extension the NFL. But, like, NFL would be, like, simulate entire season, who's going to make the playoffs, Super Bowl odds, stuff like that. For college football, I'd love to have my own top 25. That's definitely coming next year. But then also it would be like, oh, well, oh well, then that sh- shouldn't that just be the uh, committee's top 25? And then that's not true at all. Because and I think some people are trying to model. I, I know some people who, 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 are, who are really good modelers, too. They're trying to figure out, like, oh, like, I know 538 has, like, a lot to make the, the playoff and stuff, and, and that's fair, but you can't model it because you, you, like, for you to be able to model that, you, like, literally have to just basically throw out all logic and just be like, here are the actual rules for how the committee selects teams, and then you just build that model, basically. You have to say, okay, well, if you're not a Power 5 team, with the exception of Notre Dame, you don't matter, at which point you just, they will, they will find a way to not have you in there unless they literally have to pick you. And then at that point, then it's just like, okay, well, if it's like, if you are an undefeated conference champion, you get in. If not, then if you're like a one loss, then other conferences have, like, there's these rules that don't actually make sense, but they just exist as rules. And I think some people have realized what those rules are, but I think other people haven't. Um, When I kind of look at the college football playoff, uh, it really helps me to kind of think about, like, what games are on here that haven't been played yet. Like, the rankings... Are, are a thing, obviously, and people talk about the rankings and who's better than which team. But for me, what, where the rankings actually now are, to me, it doesn't matter. Like, for example, right now, Georgia won Alabama 2, right? A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, Bama shouldn't be 2. Well, that, to me, Alabama 2 doesn't actually matter because we know Georgia and Alabama are going to play. I'm not sure if it's actually, like, officially could 
confirmed at this exact moment, but we know they're going to play. They're very likely to be playing in like a couple weeks in the SEC championship game, right? So the thing of it is, you know, like, the, so the way I think of it is this: okay, if Alabama wins, then it's probably Alabama one, Georgia like four, maybe maybe Georgia drops to two or three. I don't know, but it's them in there. But if Georgia beats Alabama, I don't think Alabama hits four. I think Alabama goes even lower than four. I think Alabama's five or six at that point. At that point, that opens up games, right? Ohio State. Right now, Ohio State is four. Actually, no, I'm looking at the coaches' poll. Sorry. Uh, actually, I'm looking. Whatever. So, like, say, I think, um, what's the most recent ranking one? Um, let me see. I have the, oh, here's the, no? Okay. Well, I'm trying to find the poll here. But anyways, it's basically like Ohio State has to play Michigan and Michigan State, right? If Ohio State loses to Michigan State, then where Ohio State's now doesn't matter. Ohio State's going to fall, and Michigan State will basically take their place, right? Or against Michigan, right? Michigan's right now AP AP poll. Michigan's at seven, right? That's not real because they have to still play Ohio State, and they're going to lose against Ohio State. So at that point, then we know they're going to fall, right? So it really helps me to think about what games are remaining. Now Oregon doesn't actually have any games against people in the top, but they have a bunch of games against people in the bottom. For example, bottom, like for example, Utah. I don't know where Utah's on here. Apparently, they're 25th. Seems a bit low for them. Um, my model actually has Oregon as the favorite this week, the about six-point favorite. So I've already I've already bet on them. Um, but basically, if they win against, they're gonna get two cracks at Utah. Basically, I think people think that Oregon's gonna lose to Utah. And here's the thing: obviously, if Utah does beat Oregon, which is very possible, even my model has it as a six-point spread, still very possible that Oregon could lose that game. Um, if they lose, then yeah, they're done, and then that actually opens up a spot for you guys. Um, but honestly, like your your best shot probably comes from Georgia beating Alabama and then Cincinnati randomly losing to someone else, or people just, or like the committee just being absolutely insane and just putting you guys in over Cincinnati, which honestly could happen. Like it's it's insane, but it literally could happen. I, like I've I've lost the, all the the issue game. is not to interrupt you too much, but the issue is Notre Dame doesn't play a conference championship game, so I could see Notre Dame jumping Cincinnati without a Cincinnati loss with a conference game but the fact that we don't have one i don't think we're jumping cincy unless cincy loses and even then i wouldn't put us ahead and i think you agree with that right i wouldn't i i agree, I agree with you it, it should not be like if, if that's the case if, if Notre Dame and cincinnati went out it should be cincinnati that being said the committee will do will twist themselves they could torque themselves into some weird thing where like oh Notre Dame's worst loss to Cincinnati but Cincinnati didn't have any signature wins versus where Notre Dame had signature wins against like Virginia see I'm saying this you can already start hearing how this could play like you're already starting to hear how these arguments are going to work right and it's like it's insane that, that we can start making these like insane arguments and we're, we're making them in like a rational sounding way but like yeah I could see I could see them justifying that I, I think there's a chance the Big Ten beats itself up and I don't know why Oklahoma State is so high. That's just insane to me. Like, it's clear to me that, like, so they're going to lose to someone. I'm not sure if they're going to lose to Oklahoma or whatever. Like, they lost to Iowa State. Iowa State's not that good. Like, they're way too high. Like, Michigan State could beat Ohio State, at which point then they could – I mean, they could lose in the conference championship to Wisconsin at that point because I think – That is about to say that's our – that's the path. Yeah, because then – That's the best way for us because that makes us look – a hell of a lot better. <laughs> well, they'll say that then. Then suddenly, then suddenly, Wisconsin will be your signature win. You'll have beaten the Big Ten champion, and then, uh, then you'll be like, well, then that's then they're going to say, what's Cincinnati's signature win? Which is insane. But like, th- this is the thing that we need the the twelve team playoff like so badly. It's not even funny. It's 
And the fact you that could, so, you can thank Notre Dame for that, by the way, Notre Dame was the driver of the twelve, the twelve team expansion. So I had to sure. get some propaganda in there. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> oh no, it's it's all good. But I, the, the, this like what is what do they call themselves the Alliance or whatever. These people are insane. Like the fact that they're going to drag their their feet on this for for some insane reason. Like it, it clearly benefits them more than it would benefit like the SEC. Like it, it like they're afraid of what Texas taking one of those spots. Like they're mm-hmm. afraid, yeah, like. Like no, that's insane. Like, like I literally, I can't even like, I cannot even imagine a scenario where I take Texas ever again. Like maybe next season at some point, but like, like, I, like they're right this week. They're like two and a half point dogs to West Virginia. Like I, I can't, I, I can't. You, you can't even justify that. You can't even, like, you can't even think about that. That's just how insane this has gotten. Like, we should have a, we should have had a game of who can make more Texas jokes throughout the podcast. <laughs> uh, a little too late for that. I want to ask my my people here, the the four, the three of you, not what you would do, but what do you think the committee would do? Um, because after seeing Oklahoma come in so lowly ranked, like they were, I think, well, like a spot ahead of Notre Dame or two, undefeated. That makes me think that the committee does not like the Big Twelve, and I'm starting to wonder. Let's say, um. Oh, is Oklahoma State one loss as well? Yes, they are. Yeah, so let's just say for the sake of it, let, let's pick Oklahoma. They're more likely to win. Let's say Oklahoma beats beats them in Bedlam, and then they beat them again in the title game. And Notre Dame goes 11-1. and one. Who's getting in there? 12-1 and one Oklahoma with two recent victories over Oklahoma State. Or 11-1 and one Notre Dame. Now... The reason I ask this is we're expecting the committee to come out tomorrow. We would expect Notre Dame to be head of Oklahoma, right? I think we all agree just based yeah. on how the committee had valued Oklahoma to begin with. They're probably falling behind Notre Dame. If thing, if the status quo, they both end up 11-1 and 12-1, and who is the committee taking? Let's say there's one spot left. Rob, I'll start with you. If Oklahoma wins out... See, again, it would... You'd have to, a weird other bunch of things have to like it's going to depend on where Alabama is in this. It's going to depend on where Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State are. Let, in this. Let's just say, but, let's just say, three spots are taken. There's just one spot left, and it's between Notre Dame and Oklahoma for whatever reason. Those other teams, like Alabama's lost to Georgia, Michigan's out, Michigan State's out. Uh, let's say for the sake of argument, Oregon's out. So it's it's Georgia, Ohio State. Cincinnati and either Notre Dame or Oklahoma. That they, that'll no, that that fits it better. Yeah. No, Notre Dame. They take Notre Dame. Interesting, Steve. I do agree. Uh, I and I, I just think that the there's been a lack of impressive wins from Oklahoma's standpoint. You know, Notre Dame. They they've had their struggles. Obviously, we can you know point to Toledo and 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 you know, some some other examples. But uh, Notre Dame has systematically gotten stronger over the year. And Oklahoma has just been, you know, they were not very good. They got, you know, their, their other quarterback in there after benching Rattler, he had a couple of good weeks and then they crashed right back down to earth as soon as they played a a remotely decent team in Baylor. So I, I don't foresee, and I'm going to obviously be biased here. I just don't see Oklahoma surpassing if, if, you know, they're 12 and one and we're 11 and one. It's not biased. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) P. Uh, the committee will put in Southwest, Northwest Catholic in over either team. Uh, <laughs> the committee at all. Uh, two Notre Dame players, uh, former 
coach Tyrone Willingham and former player Rod West on the committee are the only two I trust. Uh, but I do think Notre Dame should get it over that just because a Cincinnati loss, arguably in theory, they would be two or three in this situation here. Uh, and then Notre Dame would probably be that fourth seed. I think they, they would value that more over the Baylor uh, loss with Oklahoma. But I don't know. The committee I'll, is terrible. I'll say the committee would put Oklahoma in because they'll be coming off two wins. And I think I would as well. And the reason I say that is that Notre Dame does not have a signature win. And Wisconsin making a push looks great, but they're going to end up 8-4. and four. Oklahoma would have had two wins over Oklahoma State. I think I'd put Oklahoma in, especially with the conference championship. And I think the committee would. But you know what? You guys, three to one, you're probably right there. Um, that'll be interesting. There's so many interesting scenarios with this playoff. Um, is there anything else we want to go on, or do we want to move over to game predictions and then then the, the following week? I will say quickly about Oklahoma State. I don't – people are really talking about Oklahoma State right now, and I don't know why – their one loss is to Iowa State, which is like an okay-ish team, but like they were a dog. Like that was that game, that line was so weird. They were like seven, I think it was seven or seven and a half point dogs to Oak, to Iowa State just right off the bat. Like they were ranked like six, and Iowa State was unranked, and they were underdogs to them. And Iowa State won. Like this this Iowa State this Oklahoma State resume looks so unimpressive. That like like when you, you see this all the time in college football, like where some team just keeps winning, they just keep beating bad teams, beating bad teams, and they just keep because everybody ahead of them falls, they just keep getting pushed up. The second Oklahoma State loses, they're just gonna crash like a stone. It's just gonna they're just gonna immediately fall. Like I think if I'll, I'll, it's interesting where this committee will rank them, they're probably gonna rank them high. But like if they lose to Oklahoma, the first time they're just gonna fall to like twenty or something. And then that second time, that, that that time Oklahoma would beat them, and you're saying, like, oh, they'll have beaten them twice in a row, which is fair. But at the same time, once they've fallen, then they're just going to, then people, they're going to completely, like, they're just going to ignore that second win against them, right? So I'm, and again, the other thing is that I, this weekend, Oklahoma plays Iowa State. Iowa State could also beat Oklahoma, at which point then all this becomes moot at that point, then, right? Um, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to put Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State barely beat Texas. They had to, I think Texas had like a, big lead against Oklahoma State at one point, and then Texas, uh, Iowa State came back, or Oklahoma State came back. So, like, no, I'm I'm really out on Oklahoma State. I don't know why people are suddenly ginning them up when, when everybody a mile away saw them losing to Iowa State. Okay, I got a quick question for the Notre Dame fans. Michigan-Ohio State's last game of the year. Would you rather Michigan win if it significantly helps Notre Dame's chances of getting into the playoff and Michigan's. Michigan would be 11-1 and going into the Big Ten title game. Or would you rather Ohio State win anyway, even if it is less likely to help Notre Dame? Ooh. Well, Steve doesn't want to be in the playoff anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, because there's two sides to that. There's the one side where it's just like, okay, yeah, you know, well, take the playoff at this point. Um, you know, we're, as, as we're looking better, you know, Georgia starts to look a little bit more human. And, uh, you know, we, we're, I'm not going to rehash the conversation we had 25 minutes ago. But um, so there, there's that aspect of it. Then there's the other aspect saying, okay, well, maybe if you have a 10 and 2 Michigan team, that's top 10. And if you have Notre Dame as the number five, you know, on the outside looking in, that could put a, a, a Notre Dame versus Michigan New Year's Six Bowl. 
which is not what we want in terms of, you know, we, 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 I think the consensus at this point is, has really turned towards the, the focus on the playoff. But if we have to settle for beating the living piss out of Cade McNamara and that absolutely trash bag program up North in a, in a new year, six bowl game to get that monkey off our back, that's, that's a check I'll sign. So that's where I'll stand. P what's the, uh, what's your answer there? Would you rather the better shot at Notre Dame getting in, or would you just want Michigan to lose? Am I allowed to recuse the statement and not put one on record? That is allowed. Does Canada have a Fifth Amendment? Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Off the record, uh, I would rather see that terrible, terrible school beat Ohio State uh, just to give us a better chance at the playoff. But I would love to see us beat them in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, So I am middleman this off the record right now, and uh, I am literally 50-50. I'm right there with you, though. You All saw right. the Dylan's eyes there when I asked about the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> Rob, you're you're living in Southern Ontario. I imagine you run across a lot of Michigan fans. Um, do you hate them, or are you kind of neutral towards Michigan? Michigan, to me, is just this chronically like overrated program. Like they're just they are nowhere near. Like it's just they run through the season. They're ranked. What are they right now? AP poll. Seventh. Like, their one loss was to the only good team they played. I have no respect for Penn State at all. I think they're horrible. I think their coach is also horrible. So, like, the fact that they almost lost to Penn State is, like... Like, I... I No, I, I just... Like, it's just... It's, like... I think I, I saw in, like, a couple places the advanced line for, like, Michigan-Ohio Michigan, State is, like, six... Like, Ohio State minus six and a half, which is insane. I don't know why they would ever post that line, but I'll gladly take advantage of that. But, like, no, I, I just, yeah, I take Ohio State because it's just, like, I, I don't understand why this team keeps getting vastly overrated. I They're not, they're nowhere. Like, the Michigan State-Michigan game, I went into it thinking, like, these teams are probably both frauds. It's just that Michigan yeah. State is, Michigan is just, a like, historically, the much bigger fraud. So, but <laughs> Michigan State won that one. So, but, yeah, no, it's just, like, no, I, I don't believe in Michigan at all. And, like, yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see you guys crush them in, in a New Year's Six Bowl. That'd be great. Well, you're welcome on this podcast anytime, amigo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've you've just earned every Notre Dame fan's love. All right, let's get into these weeks because uh, you know you guys have been here for a while, and I know the audience probably wants to just go home and and relax. Unless you're listening to it on the way to work, maybe you want us to keep talking. Um, Wake Forest at Clemson. Um, I will start with P, then we're going with Steve, and then Rob. I'll let you say what the model says. And then, then I'll just pick mine after you guys. All right, so, P, who you got there? Wake Forest. Dabo's real name is William. All right. <laughs> also Wake Forest. Uh, I'm taking Wake Forest as well. Sorry, Rob, I cut in front of you. That, this is the new order. Rob? <laughs> That's a good. I'm going, I'm going Wake Forest as well. Models got this. Um, Clemson plus one. Close game, but I, I, I don't believe in Clemson. I'm taking, I'm taking Wake. Nice. Uh, uh, the home dog does scare me a bit there, but... I like Ryan Hartman. Is that his? No, that's a hockey player. What's this guy? Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman. Yeah, I like him. He might win the Heisman. Um, This is a year for a non-elite program to win a Heisman. I swear to God. You got Pitt with Pickett or Pinkett. You got you got uh, Wake Forest in there. You've got Kenneth Walker. You got Matt Corral. Anyway, moving on. The big one. And at, you know it's a big one because the Big Ten schedules it at noon. <laughs> There's nothing screams big game like a noon Fox kick. Unbelievably dog shit conference. 
I, if you're a Big Ten listener out there, I am so sorry that you have to live through that. Actually, no, fuck you. You deserve it. Um, <laughs> Michigan State at Ohio State, four versus seven. Somebody is getting eliminated from the playoff. P, who is it? Um, I'm going with Michigan State. Uh, I don't like Ohio State. I don't like their fans. I don't like their state at all. Uh, Michigan State. And the 19-point spread doesn't scare you. They're underdogs by 19? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. They're, they're going to win. <laughs> when the F-bombs start going, you know, the podcast is, is getting tired and at its best. Steve? <laughs> the Ohio State University is going to be eliminated from playoff contention after they drop this one to Spartans. Let's go. Lee Corso over here. Um, you guys are wishing things into existence. I'm taking the Buckeyes, and I'm taking them comfortably. Not to cover, but to win. Yeah, the model, model's got the same. model's got Ohio State minus 11.4. I, th- th- this is basically a 10-point game. Take the, take the 19. This I suspect this probably gets closer to 21. Ohio State probably wins this, but I think Michigan makes this pretty close. And maybe it's worth, I mean, when you're looking at like a plus 800 on the money line, I think it's worth a shot. Throw something on that. Yeah. I, best of luck, Sparty. That's, I think all of us kind of echo that sentiment. We all kind of like Sparty. We all hate Ohio State. All right. But this, um, would this actually eliminate Kenneth Walker if they lose this game? Like if he wins this game, they, he wins the Heisman. But if he loses, he, he, he loses the Heisman, right? In the weird rules of how Heisman works. Yeah, weird is the is the most important word there. But yeah, I think you are right, which is unfortunate because it should just go to the best player, um, which of course is Kyle Hamilton. Um, here's an interesting one. It's it's not a, a ranked matchup, but it's one I think everyone's got on episode alert. SMU going to Cincinnati. P, who's winning that game? Uh, over the last 48 hours, I've been super high on SMU, uh, not because I'm going to be going to the Fenway Bowl where they'll be playing, uh, <laughs> just because I've decided that as a man who owns a cowboy hat, I have to find a new team in Texas. Uh, so SMU in a route. Ooh. Wow. Steve? He's riding the Pony Express. I am not. I'm going with the Bearcats. I think this is a stupid close game. I am going to take the Bearcats as well, but man... SMU is underrated, unless Rob disagrees. <laughs> no, I'm actually. This is this is one where the model, r- r- rare one where the model pretty much agrees with the books. I got minus thirteen point six. Books got twelve. Um, not much value here in the betting line. But yeah, Cincinnati probably takes the, walks away with the win. And but if they if they lose, obviously they get elim- instantly eliminated from the playoffs because that's just just how it works. All right, let's go to a rivalry game. I think in like week three, I said I was interested for this one. Um, both teams are awful. UCLA is going across the street to play USC. I actually don't know where UCLA is, but point is we got that really lame rivalry uh, that USC fans don't really care about as much as us. UCLA, USC, P-Wagon, who you got there? UCLA is a three and a half point favorite. The University of California, Los Angeles, which also shares a stadium with the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Uh, so I'm going with UCLA. Wait, UCLA plays at the, the Rose Bowl. I thought they played at the Coliseum. No, nope. they play at the Rose Bowl. Well, this game's at the Coliseum. Silly, silly boy. Well, UCLA still will win. I mean, they're, they're literally the same. LA doesn't exist. <laughs> That's a fair take. 
Hills in LA both don't exist. Or mountains in LA don't exist. Mountains and LA, not mountains in LA. No, mountains and LA. Mountains are just hills with an ego. People, if you if you want to tweet at somebody with some weird opinions, it's at pwagon60 on Twitter. He is the guy you want to go to. Um, Steve, who do you like in that game? Um, hmm. What hat am I wearing? Uh, the Boston Bruin hat. UCLA Bruins. That's that's the only connection I have to either of these two programs in that dog shit city. Wow, you guys are so hard on LA. Um, I'm, I'm a taking Boston the guy. What do you expect? Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I'm taking the Trojans. I like USC. I like USC at home. I think UCLA are frauds, um, and I think USC are less frauds. Like they're fraudulent, but they're four and five, so that kind of makes them not fraudulent. That makes them what they are. In fact, they might be a little bit better than the record suggests. So I'm taking the Trojans. Rob, uh, models got this as uh, UCLA minus six point six. So we take UCLA. I like. I refuse to bet on USC anymore. I bet on them one time against what was what Arizona State, and like they kept the game close, but they did some weird, insane thing where like on third down and like third and two, or they just or like third and four, they just refused to throw the ball. They were just like, oh, it's just we're an area like we're an area team. Let's just start running the ball on third and four. I'm like, what are you doing? Like this is insane. And then they lost the game like dumbasses. So yeah, no, no, no more USC for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then last up on the night, we've got the big one. Uh, Oregon is going to wherever the Utah Utes play. It is number three versus number 24, according to the AP, I believe. Oregon Ducks, Utah Utes. P-Wagon, who are you taking? Utah. Steve? I'm also riding with the Utes. Sorry, Rob. Yeah, you, sorry, sorry, Rob. I, I'm also taking the Utes in this one. I, I feel like wow. the reason... The reason I'm taking them is not because I don't like Oregon. I just I feel like Oregon, like Notre Dame, deserve to lose more than once this year and have been testing fate, and I think that's going to catch up to them. The good news is if you are a Utah fan, even if you lose the game, doesn't matter. You're going to play them in the Pac-12 championship anyway. Um, so that is a very interesting game. Uh, Rob, I'll, what? well, you told us what the model thinks earlier. Are, are you riding with the Ducks? Yeah, I'm riding with the Ducks. The Mall's got this as Oregon minus 6.8. Interesting thing I will say about Oregon is that I think if you go back a couple of seasons, I think if you probably bet on Oregon every time they were an underdog, you definitely would be plus money. Like, they were an underdog to UCLA. They beat UCLA. They were an underdog to Utah in this game last year in the Pac-12 championship, which they probably shouldn't have actually been in that Pac-12 championship. The only reason they were there was because Washington couldn't go due to COVID, but they beat Utah in that in that as well. It's hilarious. Like in my the way I think of it is like Oregon wins the games in which their underdogs are like a small underdog, but then they lose the game that they'll be like a twenty point favorite in. So that's so ride with that. We're going with the Ducks. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, so we're nearing the end here. We got uh, we got Georgia Tech coming up. I don't even want to preview that game because if Notre Dame doesn't win by a lot, it, 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 I want to count it as a loss. Georgia Tech is like three and seven. Um, the Rudy game, as we may know it as, of course, the famous Rudy Rudiger sack came against Georgia Tech. I believe it was 76. Uh, does, does it matter? Like, does, does Georgia Tech even cross your mind? Because I don't know if you guys know this, listener at home. Georgia Tech and Notre Dame have played a lot. Like, we're almost a rivalry. Like, not a regular rivalry, but like a historic, like we've played each other 30 times kind of rivalry. I don't think about Georgia Tech. 
I I really don't. They they matter so little to me. Um, it, it, <laughs> how do you guys feel about them? I feel like I'm being harsh. I've been thinking about this game for two months uh, because I'm going. So that's oh, congrats, all. congrats, P. All, Sorry about that. Only reason I care <laughs> about this game: Notre Dame's twenty nine six and one, uh, all time against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech no longer <laughs> runs the triple option; they run this weird. It's like a. It's not so much a spread offense. It's it's weird. I I can't define what it is, but it's weird. Run and shoot. No, it's it's just weird. <laughs> they don't have an offensive identity anymore. Uh, the last time Georgia Tech won against Notre Dame, uh, I think Dylan wasn't even a thought. Uh, I've, never mind. It was two thousand seven. So that was the last time they won two thousand seven. Before that was nineteen ninety nine. So like, to be fair, two thousand seven does not count as a football year in Notre Dame record books. Neither does twenty sixteen. We have vetoed those years from program history. So. That's uh, that's that. I'll be there. I'll be starting the Harrison Leonard chant, a uh, friend of the program, Harrison Leonard, to try to get him one kick uh, during that day- game. I would like to see Jay Bramble pun in person at least once. Um, but that's where I'm at. I just want us to have a good time out there. Uh, and Notre Dame wins by approximately 28 to 30 points. Okay, okay. Um, I will say, prediction for the game is Jay Bramblett runs a fake punt just for you. I will jump you, off the and, and, and you you like combust. Like you actually just turn into flames you will see on the spot. Field. I will run from where I am. I'm in the upper bowl. I will jump <laughs> on the field and punt it. <laughs> Jay Bramblett scores a touchdown in my presence. I will find Mike Bramblett and hug him for having him as a son. Okay. <laughs> Rob, I love the Notre Dame punter. Special teams for a special guy. Oh, Steve. <laughs> Just say words. Um, I don't, I'm at a loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I don't even know what to make of Georgia Tech because they have they flip-flopped quarterbacks. Um, you know, there's this kid, Sims, that is their, kind of their leading passer, but he sat out last game in favor of Yates. Uh, neither are particularly great statistically. Their best runner has only 600 and. 87 yards on the season so what's that he's averaging what 60 something yards a game not not particularly fantastic and he's their their running back is also their leading receiver at 470 yards on the season so um i, I don't know I, I just feel like they maybe they'll get into the reds uh, you know the end zone one time uh, on us but I, I don't particularly see this as as being uh, close and are we given score predictions well hold off for a second okay um I want to ask Rob because I think his model's got something interesting to say for this game. So, Rob, I'll let you kind of tell us about that and then tell us kind of what you think of the game. Yeah, so the model does actually have this randomly as close, but to be fair, the model seems to have a problem with Georgia Tech. There's some random teams it has problems with. A lot of that's due to, like, adjusted stats. Um, So it had them as, like, big favorites last week. They lost. So, again, I'm not... I'm not the most confident in the model specifically with Georgia Tech, but yeah, I, I think that I think Nordic probably wins this game probably comfortably. Maybe they struggle against the spread. Maybe the model's trying to is showing something here where maybe Georgia Tech can put up a little bit of a fight that the spread 16 points. Maybe they only lose by like 14 or something, cover something back door. But yeah, I think um, Nordic probably wins this game relatively comfortably. Okay. All right. I hope you got that 
that simulation for a hypothetical ready because we're going to give our score predictions and then we're going to end on that. P-Wagon, you said like by 20 or 30. Do you have a number in your head or do we just want to skip right to the voodoo and where the magic happens? Uh, no, it's going to be Notre Dame 31, Georgia Tech 0. Interesting. Uh, a shutout, which is the 2014 Michigan scoreline. A 20, Steve. 28 points with a field roll at the end by Harrison Leonard. It's going to be a 33-yarder. Wow. It's oddly specific. Yes. Uh, Steve? <laughs> and Rob, I, have I don't this... know. Well, well, hold on. Rob, I, I know you've listened before, but I don't know if you know how crazy this is. Steve and I, with the exception of last week, have written our score predictions, and when we announce them, they're almost identical all the time. Steve? Um, I'm hoping that we can be identical again because it's really fun. I have Notre Dame obviously winning. I have this as 31-13 Notre Dame. Wow. Very conservative of you, Steve. I, that's because I've been overshooting the target in the, uh, like week after week, so I wanted to scale it back a bit. Fair enough. Um, I think you're right on or near right defensively. I'm going to say Notre Dame wins this 45 to 10. And the only reason we score 45 is because the seniors will be in by the fourth quarter. I I was going to go with 38 to 10, but I scaled back. I think Georgia Tech is not a particularly great defense. And I think this is the last home game at Notre Dame. The crowd's going to be great. It's senior day. Um, It's also going to be snowing. And I don't know if they have snow in Atlanta. So yeah, I, I think Notre Dame's going to put a When they do on. have snow, the entire yeah, city shuts down. It's not going to snow. It's going to be 45 at game Oh, interesting. interesting. It was snowing earlier. but It snowed on Sunday. Well, thank you, our resident meteorologist. Um, <laughs> all right. The reason Notre Dame, Oregon is interesting, not just because Rob's on the show, um, but also there is a decent chance they could play each other in a bowl game, right? It's It's a weird year for bowl games. Um, I think or the Rose Bowl might actually be one of the bowl games this year, right? It's not a playoff game. No, the Rose Bowl is not a playoff game so, this year. So, you know what? There's actually a very slim chance we play each other uh, because you'll end up playing Michigan or Wisconsin or Ohio State or whatever. Um, but theoretically, if we were to play in a bowl game on a neutral site, both of these teams have been a little disappointing this year. Both of these teams are still top 10 teams. Uh, how does your model have it? Yeah, so we actually have Oregon as a pretty sizable favorite here, about a 14 or so point favorite. So that, that seems a little high, but um, to be fair, it hasn't incorporated the most recent week's data. So um, obviously Oregon struggled a little bit with Washington State and Notre Dame put away um, Virginia pretty comfortably. So, but yeah, I think, I mean, that, if that, that would probably, yeah. What, what do you think the, the bookmarkers would have that spread at? Probably six and a half? Yeah, I'd say less than a touchdown. I'd say Oregon would be favorite because uh, they mm-hmm. beat Ohio State. Um, I think that would be a very good game. I think it'd be a very close game. But yeah, I, I could see six and a half, maybe all the way down to three. But I wouldn't say more than three. I, like, I've I got, think that's... Yeah, I've got low scoring here, too. I got like 40 points. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right, well, I'll, I'll take this time to remind everyone you can find us at Horseman Pod on Twitter. Um, and if you can, we would love for you to support the podcast at Anchor FM slash Horseman Pod slash Listener Support, whatever it is. The, it'll be in the, the link of this podcast episode and on Twitter. 
um, in our save tweet. So if you know you can make some contributions, that helps us keep a good product going. Uh, we're we're busy people, and it gets us great guests like Rob, who definitely didn't come on for free. Um, all jokes aside, thanks Rob for coming on the show. Um, listener at home, rate five star review, all that stuff. Uh, we're thankful to have you. Season's getting to an end, but uh, that's the best part, isn't it? Because that means there's some big things to play for. Um, any last words before we sign off? Um, don't don't all speak at once. Yeah, no. Kyle Hamilton, I love you and I miss you. Um, get healthy. Be a top five pick. Secure the bag. Uh, every team on the every player on the roster is going to play in the NFL. We're gonna blow. We're gonna blow them out uh, on Saturday. Thankfully, because I actually have a wedding down in Florida, uh, another fucking wedding, and yeah, yeah right. Uh, and we, yeah, just go Irish. And however the chips fall, we we support this team and we run propaganda. So don't forget that. P wagon. I've never lost a game I've been to. Uh, there you go. And uh, yeah. Make sure that you all get on the Twitters, talk to us, and stop being assholes on there. We're just three guys with opinions. Stop being mean to us. <laughs> the sensitive man on this podcast is is I No, sometimes, let me just say this real quick. I just log on sometimes, and it's usually after one of us says something stupid, and then, like, there's just so many mean people who just, they just tweet mean things, and like, come on, it's football. We're not, Stop. Just be nice. That's all I'm looking for. I have to lock off sometimes. I see a whole bunch of just no bunch of names and numbers all together, and I just say, "Oh, I'm not going to read any of this." And they're all <laughs> so mean. Stop being mean. We don't get paid for this. We're not a Sports Illustrated podcast. We're not saying that Notre Dame's no South Beach. Shout out Nate. But like, shout out Nate. Just stop being mean. That's all I got. For the listeners at home, I think P Wagon is a few drinks of wine in and is feeling very. I, I'm completely emotional. sober. I just, I'm just emotional because I don't like mean people. Well, people aren't mean to us. They're just mean to each other. And, and then, a little mean to us. And sometimes us. Mostly us. To be fair, we probably deserve it for dunking on literally everyone we can. Uh, Rob, sorry for this car wreck of a podcast that you've been on. Uh, but I think that's the appeal of the show is that it turns into a car wreck. Um, great to have another Canadian on. Is there anything you want to kind of, you know, shout out? Uh, market yourself you know this is your your free time here plug away baby yeah well i mean i just i'll plug um i'll plug lean toss-up obviously we do election forecasting i'm not sure how many of your viewers are, are big election uh nerds like me but yeah i mean obviously we're doing that we're expanding into sports um and also we're we have esports we're looking to expand a lot more into that so again a, a lot of the times people who love football and stuff they they kind of stop betting in, in the football offseason but if you start getting into some esports a lot of them are actually available during the offseason and pretty action-packed so yeah um stick around with us and, and we'll uh show you how to bet those as well so yeah twitter twitter handles for your personal and for lean toss-up um yeah so it's um just double check um at robert martin lt and then uh you can check out lean toss-up at lean toss-up and then lean toss-up sports that's where we post all of the model projections uh, at lean t sports so we, we couldn't get lean toss sports apparently that already existed but yeah so lean t sports that's, that's what we had to settle on there perfect well thanks for coming on the show man it's great to to listen to your model to to, to listen to your opinion on on the playoff 
Um, and, and we wish you luck, I think, the rest of the way. You know, hopefully not too much luck to keep us out of the playoff, but enough luck that you have joy and you beat whoever you run into in the, in the Rose Bowl because we hate the other side of the Rose Bowl. Um, that's all of us. That's, for, that's all of us. I, I don't know. Words. Uh, go Irish. <laughs> Electric clothes.